Does it take so long? There we go. Okay, welcome everybody. Tonight is the fourth night of Hanukkah, and happens to be a very special night for us and our family, because this is our uh, wedding anniversary. So 16 years ago tonight, my wife and I got married and started an incredible journey together. So, um, okay, so I want to talk to you about an idea that I had about Hanukkah several years ago, and I still find it to be incredibly inspirational. So what is the idea of the menorah? Okay, now this, I want you to think about this, okay? And you can can respond as well. So uh, feel free to ask questions and stuff. Um, The question is like this. What's the big deal of the menorah? You know that miracles typically in Jewish history serve a purpose, right? Jews are about to be killed, Egyptians closing in on them, splitting of the sea. Oh, save the Jews, right? The menorah served zero purpose, the miracle of the menorah. Why? Because there's a rule in Judaism that if like everyone is impure from like, so there's something called spiritual impurity, Tuma and Tahara, which comes about through de- contact with dead bodies and other substances. And uh, the idea that after fighting a war, so the majority of the people were impure for having come in contact with corpses. And there's a problem. They want to light the menorah in the temple, which is a mitzvah that's done every single day in the temple, but they don't have any oil that's pure. So they're searching and searching for pure oil. But the the mystery of this whole story is, is that there's a rule in the Torah that if everyone is impure, so it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. Just light impure oil. It's not an issue. So why was it such a big deal? They had to find pure oil. And then they found this one jar of pure oil and they lit it and it burned for eight days. Wow. Like it's, I mean, it's not not a bad thing. But it's like akin to your like cell phone battery not dying for eight days, you know? Like, oh my! Like we just bought a uh, a hybrid minivan, and I'm telling you, this car is like the modern Hanukkah story. We've been driving it now for about just shy of two weeks. Two weeks tomorrow, we bought it on a Thursday night, two weeks ago, and the night before our son's bris, and we've driven it now over 200 miles, and we just hit like the three quarters mark. So we just finished being full. Like we were on full for two weeks driving over 200 miles. It's a miracle. It's cool. And that really serves a purpose because gas is very expensive nowadays. But the candles in the in the temple did not serve a purpose because they could have just used impure oil. So what's the big deal of the oil? Welcome, Steph. And Rebecca. So... We were just we were just asking a question of what the big deal is with the miracle of the of the Hanukkah candles. It wasn't really not such a big deal for the candles to burn for eight days because it wasn't necessary. It was just a, it was like nice, it was cool, but it wasn't necessary. The Jews could have used any oil. They didn't need this special pure jar of oil. It for sure is a mitzvah to use this pure jar of oil. But when everyone's impure for having fought a war, you don't have to worry about it. It's fine. Impure oil is okay. So that's my question. Okay. And let's come back to it. So so what I really want to know is what's the significance of the oil, of the candles? Why that place? was? Why was that the place of this miracle? If it wasn't really necessary, so you have to say that it must be the miracle was Hashem telling us a message. He was giving us some sort of 
like my wife described it as like giving us a hug. Shem was giving us a hug. He's saying, I'm here. I'm with you. And this was, do you guys know what the last holiday is in Jewish history? So all the holidays, most of the holidays that we keep are biblical, but there are two that are rabbinic. You know what the two rabbinic are? Ah, Tisha B'Av is correct. You are actually correct that Tisha B'Av is kind of a Jewish holiday, but I wasn't talking about the sad ones. <laughs> what are the two Jewish holidays that are rabbinic real holidays? Tisha B'Av is a day, and it will someday be a holiday, actually. Say that Tisha B'Av we're going to celebrate forever. But what are the last two Jewish holidays that were made up completely by the rabbis? I'll give you a hint. One of them is... Yes! Purim is one of them. And what's the other one? Hanukkah. Purim and Hanukkah. Which one came last? No. It has nothing to do with Xmas. But Hanukkah did come last. Why? Because Purim took place during the Persian Empire. And the Greeks conquered the Persians. So Hanukkah took place in the second temple era. Purim took place in between the two temples. We, were, we lived in Israel. We were conquered by the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Half the Jews, ten, ten tribes were exiled. Then, the, then Jerusalem was conquered a few while later. And then the, the rest of the Jews living in Jerusalem were exiled to Babylon. We were in Babylon for a while. Then Persia conquered the Babylonians. And then we're in the Persian Empire, and Persia gave us permission to rebuild the temple. We go back to Jerusalem. We rebuild the temple. We're in the land of Israel. And then the Greeks conquer the Persians. Then there's the Hanukkah story. And then the Romans conquer the Greeks, and they destroy the second temple. So why are we talking about that? Oh, so it's, in some ways you could say that it's, a, it's Hashem giving, giving us a hug. At the end of time, the last holiday, the holiday that's supposed to keep us going throughout 2,000 years of exile was Hanukkah. It was a message somehow. But why, the, why was the message with the candles? Why couldn't Hashem have made like fireworks, like magical fireworks pop up in the sky for eight days or even for one day? That would be cool, right? It may be even cooler because only a few people could see the, the, the miracle of the candles. Not everyone was allowed in the temple. Not everyone was able to see it. So maybe make a different type of miracle. So so what's so special? I mean, if you really want to do miracles and wipe out the whole Greek army overnight with a plague, that happened in our history before. So so again, we, I want to understand what the, what's unique about the candles, what's the symbolism of the candles. So we're going to turn to the Torah. <clears throat> and I want to share with you a message about the menorah in the Torah, in the temple. The biblical menorah. Does anyone know how many branches were on a biblical menorah? Ah. Close. Seven. That's right. Seven. So the candle, the menorah in the temple was seven branches. And it was lit every single day by one of the Kohanim, but it could have really been lit by anyone. And so. The Torah tells us a story, and I'll share with you the story. The, in, in Bamidbar, in 
the book of Numbers, the Torah tells the story of the 12, um, uh, head, 12 heads of tribes, princes, who when the Mishkan, when the tabernacle was erected, was finished, it was time to bring, um, to start using it. So the 12 princes called Nesim of the tribes came up with different voluntary offerings that they wanted to bring. They're called the Hanukkahs Hamizbeach, the inauguration, the word Hanukkah means an inauguration of the altar or of, this, of the Mishkan, of the sanctuary. And they brought these different voluntary offerings for 12 different days. <clears throat> and immediately after that Parsha comes a Parsha called Baloska, in which Aaron, HaKohen, Aaron, is commanded to light the menorah in the temple every day. And the, the, the Medrash, Talmudic writing, is bothered. Why is this chapter about the menorah right next to the chapter of these voluntary offerings? So I'll share with you what the Medrash says. Rashi quotes the Medrash as saying as follows. Why was the Parsha of the menorah next to the Parsha of the voluntary offerings? that were the inaugurational offerings of the sanctuary, tabernacle, because Aaron was not one of the people to bring one of those offerings. The tribe of Levi, which is Aaron's tribe, did not bring one of these voluntary offerings. For some reason, he didn't get a chance to bring one. And even though it was voluntary, the other tribes seemed to have had some sort of prophetic vision to bring, and he didn't have one. And he started to get worried and think, maybe it's because I was involved in the sin of the golden calf. Aaron had a little bit of a participation in that. He didn't stop the people. And so he felt maybe his tribe was out of favor with God. And so it says that Hashem saw that Aaron became depressed. And he was feeling bad about himself because he wasn't part of this Hanukkah, this, this inauguration. So Hashem said to him, don't worry, your portion is even greater than theirs because you get to light and clean and prepare the candles every day in the temple. That's the Medrash, that's what Rashi says. So the problem with this is that it doesn't really make much sense. Let me, let me tell you, like, in, in just in our terms, what this sounds like, okay? And then I want you to tell me the problem. Let's say you, this is the metaphor I usually give. Let's say you just, you know, you, you, you always had a dream of opening up a restaurant and you finally got it together. You've prepared, you prepared the, the, the space, you cleaned it, you painted it, you decorated it, you hired chefs. And finally it's opening day and you have a whole ribbon cutting ceremony and you invite the mayor of the town and the rabbi of the synagogue and all your relatives and friends, and they cut the ribbon and they have this taste test thing, and it's this whole fancy thing, and there's live music, right? Really exciting. And then suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I forgot to invite Uncle Louie. Forgot to invite Uncle Louie. Oh gosh, I'm finished. So you call up Uncle Louie and you say, Uncle Louie, I'm so sorry, I forgot to invite you. But you know what? Okay, the party's over. We just finished the party, but you are invited to come and do dishes for the whole week in the kitchen. 
No problem. You want to do, forget the whole year you can do dishes in the kitchen. Okay, what's the problem with the metaphor that, that Rashi's bringing? Aaron's upset because he didn't get to be part of the initial inauguration of the temple. So Hashem says, don't worry, you get to light candles forever in the temple. What's the problem with this? Why does it not make so much sense? Anyone? <laughs> so it's kind of, it, it's not really a chore. It's a mitzvah to light the candles. But, okay, I did say it's like a chore. It's Yeah, he says you get to light them and clean them out and every day clean them and light them. So kind of chore Yeah, what else? what else is weird about it? So it's it's um it, it's interesting that it is a mitzvah that is usually done by the kohen, by the priests, the high priest, but it could be done by anyone. It's actually not unique to a kohen. Anyone, someone else could do it if need be. A non-kohen. Yeah. So what? Why was Aaron depressed? What was he upset about? What do you say? Why would Aaron be depressed about not getting to be part of the um, the inauguration ceremony? What's special about the inauguration ceremony? Okay, that everyone else was part of it, but what? Why specifically that? Why was that thing special? Ah, oh, excellent. Yeah, it was celebrating the completion of the tabernacle, and it was the very first time that sacrifices were brought there, right? So there's something special about the inauguration of something, the first time something's used. But so then, if you're upset because you didn't get to be part of the first thing so what kind of answer is it for me to tell you yeah so you can just do something else right it's no connection do you guys get the you get the question why this mitzvah so the ramban nachmanides asks a bunch of questions on rashi and his first question is this what what does this have to do with it he aaron was upset because he wanted to be far part of the first so you're telling me he gets to light the menorah thanks you know like okay great but it's not the first the next question the Ramban asks is that Aaron, like maybe you could tell him, like, yeah, you get to do something else special. You get to bring incense inside the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. Only a Kohen Gadol, the high priest, is allowed to do that. But why does he tell him a menorah, lighting a menorah, which isn't even something that only a Kohen can do? It's not like even unique to, to, to Aaron. He's saying, you get to light the candles of the menorah. But you know what? So does everyone else. Whoever doesn't have to be the Cohen that's lighting the candles. And on top of that, the Ramban says, Yeah. <laughs> it's a mitzvah. No, no one else voluntarily does it. It is done by a Cohen, but it happens to be there's a rule that a non Cohen could do it. 
All right, so it's it's as opposed to a lot of things that only the Kohen can do. And and on top of that, the Ramban says, like, what about all the other sacrifices? And furthermore, like, yeah, so Aaron didn't get to bring one of those first voluntary offerings, but you know who offered up all those voluntary offerings for those 12 days? Who do you think was the one offering them up on the altar? It was Aaron, the Kohen. <laughs> he was the one doing the service. So like, okay, he didn't get to bring the offering, but he actually did every single one of them. He was like intimately involved with the whole process more than anyone else. So why is he so upset? So I, I believe the answer is that he, because he wanted to be part of the first. He wanted to be part of that first flame. But then the question is, so why, why was he given a mitzvah that's just done every day? It's a mitzvah done every single day. So the Ramban says, really, the mitzvah of the lighting of the menorah that the Medrash is talking about is not the menorah in the temple that was lit every single day. Says the, Ramban, says the Ramban, it was talking about a different Hanukkah. The Hanukkah that would take place several thousands of years later when the Maccabees fought the war of the Greeks and they eradicated the Greek army and they came to the temple and they didn't find any oil and then they took this one jar and they lit it and it burned for eight days. That is the lighting of the menorah that, that Hashem was telling Aaron would be his consolation for missing out on the first one why because this is the second inauguration of the temple this is the second time thousands of years later when we had to re-inaugurate rededicate the temple the temple had been defiled by greeks the greeks put in idols in the temple they built a gymnasium next to the temple it was our opportunity to rebuild so to speak the first temple uh uh sorry the second temple again that's what Ramban says. So it's an encoded message in the Talmud, in the Talmud, and the connection of these two parshas that's telling us about a future Hanukkah that will someday take place, which is parallel parallel to the initial offerings because it's again the first time that the candles were lit once again after they had been interrupted by the Greeks. Okay, you guys got it. That's the Ramban. Any questions so far? So what bothers me is that the Ramban's questions are very strong. How does Rashi make sense? Rashi, who again quoted the Medras and said that God says to Aaron, don't worry, you missed out on the inauguration, but you get to light the candles every day of the year. What connection? Why the candles? And this I would like to answer, that there's something special about the candles that really is parallel to that first time of bringing those offerings. And I want to explain to you how that is, okay? So in the descri description of the lighting of the building of the menorah, the menorah was made out of one piece of solid gold. And it's very complicated. It had all sorts of flowers and ornaments and little pictures all over it. It was and, and, and pomegranate. It was very fancily built out of one piece of gold. And Rashi tells us in the, the Torah's description of the building of the menorah, Rashi tells us a few very interesting things. The first thing he tells us is that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, did not know how to build the menorah. He was totally stumped. He didn't know how to build it. And Hashem, he said, 
So Hashem showed him a vision of the menorah, a fiery vision of a menorah. And he saw it, so now he knew what it was supposed to look like. And then he started to build it, but there was a problem. He couldn't build it either. It wasn't working. So it says the Torah, and this is this is the, the Talmudic explanation that Rashi quotes, which is based on problems with the text. It says that the menorah built itself. So what does the Talmud explain? Rashi says that Moshe was confused with the menorah. Hashem showed him a fiery flame, an image of the menorah, a vision of the menorah. And then he tried to build it. It didn't go. He threw the gold into the fire and the menorah popped out. It built itself. That's what the Talmud tells us. And the question I have on that is, well, let's see if you guys can think of any questions on that story. <laughs> Besides the menorah magically building itself, which, yes, I know, we've never experienced anything like that in our life. But <laughs> what, what do you think the, are there any problems with that story? Moshe doesn't know how to build a menorah. Shem shows him a fiery image of it. And then he still can't figure it out. And then the menorah builds itself. Bingo. What's the point of giving him the, 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 the image if he's not going to be able to build it? Hashem knows. Moshe doesn't know how to do it. So why did he show him the image? So in this, I believe, is encoded an incredible message for all of us. That er, according to Kabbalah, every experience in life has two primary phases. You might have heard me talk about this before. There's the phase of inspiration. And then there's the phase of integration. What do I mean by that? That in life, everything begins with a free gift. And that's called inspiration. Where something comes easy. It's called, in English, beginner's luck or love at first sight. It's where everything fits together and goes easily. And it's the way most journeys start. A lot of times you get, you start a new job. It's going great. A new class, fantastic. You meet a new, a new guy, a new girl. Oh my gosh, it's instant connection. Love at first sight. But the reality is anyone who's been alive longer than a couple of years knows that those first sparks do not last very long. That love at first sight very quickly fades. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to students who told me that they were in love, they found the right one, and then inevitably a week later, two weeks later, a month later, three months later, maximum a year later, they're like, no, Rabbi, it's, it's what we had is gone. We lost that spark. All right? I'm sure all of you have experienced it sometime in your life where something went really well at first and then you just lost that in, that inspiration. Another perfect example is like birthright trips to Israel. I've led a lot of birthright trips and inevitably on the trips, there are always people who are super inspired. They're like, I want to learn Hebrew. I want to come back to Israel. You know, this is amazing. I want to start keeping Shabbos. I want to start praying, all sorts of things. I want to join the Israeli army. And inevitably, 
most of those people I never saw again after the trip. They're like, we'll be in touch, BFF, you know, summer camp. Remember summer camp? BFF, best friends forever. We'll, we'll write every day. We'll see each other. We'll get together every reunion. So you had a reunion like the first Sunday after camp. And then like maybe a week later. And after that, you guys all forgot about each other. You got you got into your your friends from school. You forgot about your summer camp friends. People go come back from birthright. They were inspired. And then whatever, a few weeks later, life goes back to normal. And Israel was a nice time. But they forgot about all that inspiration. Inspiration does not last. And according to Kabbalah, the reason for that is because inspiration is a gift and free gifts don't last. And that's phase one. Phase one, according to Kabbalah, is called Godless Rishon, the first expansion, or Or Rishon, the first light. And that is where you get picked up to a higher level, where you get turned on and inspired without having to do anything. And then you enter phase two, which I call the phase of integration, is where you lose the inspiration and you are dropped down to wherever you used to be. And you're alone. And the question is, what do you do with that inspiration at that point? That's really what separates the men from the boys, or in this case, the women from the girls. Um, what do we do with our inspiration? The classic example paradigm for this in Judaism is Passover, Pesach. That on Passover, we were lifted up to a very high level of spirituality and prophecy. And then we were we got out of Egypt after that night and we were dropped in the desert. And we lost that inspiration. And we had to wander through the desert for 49 days until we get to Mount Sinai. And the goal of the time of losing the inspiration, what do you think you're supposed to do during that time when you lose the inspiration? What for? Ah, excellent. So the goal of life is not inspiration. The goal of life is growth and integration, internalizing the stuff that we learn. It's not enough to learn stuff. We have to internalize it. We have to digest it. We have to make it part of our life. So the purpose of this phase of integration is exactly that, to internalize the inspiration, to own it, to work for it, to earn it, so that it becomes our own. And the true growth comes when you're not feeling it, but you do it anyway. When you force yourself to do it because you know it's right, not because it's easy and feels good. Just like in relationships, true love begins when the infatuation ends. That's when love begins. When you say, I'm still in it because I'm committed to you, not because I like you. <laughs> That's the truth. Right, Steph? <laughs> That's it. That's, that's what love is all about, is commitment. Commitment to somebody despite the fact that you might not be enjoying it as much as you used to. Don't worry, the inspiration comes back. But at that point, you've owned it, you've earned it, now it's yours, and then it lasts at least a little bit longer. And then you set, enter into phase three, which is you have to go through the whole process again and get it even deeper. So the problem with us, most of us, most everyone nowadays, is we live in a, a disposable generation. All right, everything's easy. We throw stuff out after we eat it, disposable plates. 
that's just a metaphor for everything in our life is disposable. We, we are addicted to easy highs. Movies, drugs, right? We are constantly looking for those easy fixes. Get rich quick schemes. We don't have the work ethic that previous generations had. We want to get it now. And our attention span is approximately 32 and a half seconds. And that's it. And if it's not inspirational in 32 seconds, we're done. You've lost our attention. We're not, we're not interested anymore. So movies have to be so fast-paced to keep you in. Commercials have to draw you in in that split second. And now with Instagram and with TikTok, it's getting faster and faster. The amount of time that you have. Twitter, you've only got 40 characters to give it over, and that's it. You lost out after that. So we live in a time of inspiration addiction. We're junkies. And the problem is that we're constantly running from one inspiration expiring experience to another. So the problem with that is then life becomes a drug for us. We don't want to do the work. We just want the fun. We want the instant gratification. So when that relationship with that guy or girl stops being exciting and new, so what do we do? We break up and look for the next one. And we think it wasn't the right one because it didn't last. But the problem is that that's an illusion because good times don't last. They can't last because free gifts don't last. So according to Kabbalah, that first light comes down to give you a taste of what could be, to inspire you, to pick you up, to make you want more, to build a vessel so that now you can hold the light. It's made like a, it's made an, in, an imprint, an indentation. So you know that there's po the possibility of that light. Now you have to begin to build the receptacle to hold the light. So the next time it comes, you actually can hold on to it. So that's, that's the idea of phase one, phase two, and phase three. And phase three lasts. So <clears throat> the message, I believe, of the building of the menorah is that Aaron couldn't do it. Moshe couldn't do it. It was confusing to him. So Hashem showed him a vision of the totality, the perfection of the possibility of what that menorah could look like. That was the inspiration. And then what did Moshe have to do? He had to now do the work to try to build it, to go into the nitty-gritty, to try to put the pieces back together. But in the end, the menorah was given to him as a gift, except this time he had worked for it. And now he owned it. You get the idea? So there's another interesting um, thing. Two other things that Rashi tells us about the menorah, which I think are worth mentioning. One is that uh, it says that their mitzvah of lighting the menorah in the temple is to hold the candle there until the flame rises on its own. To literally just hold the, like, you know, like sometimes you can force the flame onto the little wick, but other times you just hold it there and wait for the wick to catch on. So that's the mitzvah, to wait for the wick to, to catch on. And the actual, the way the Torah expresses the idea of lighting the candles, it says balascha, which means when you go up, to rise up, to cause the flame to go up. And it's the interesting thing about flames, that they're constantly rising. And then... The Torah says very interesting. It says, and Aaron lit the menorah. And it says, Vyas Cain. And Aaron did just like Hashem commanded. And the Talmud asks, Rashi asks, what do you mean? And Aaron did as he was commanded. Of course he did as he was commanded. Why, why wouldn't he do as, as he was commanded? So it says to teach you that Aaron 
did not change one iota from what he was commanded to do. And that also begs a question that, of course, Aaron did what he was supposed to do. How are you answering the problem? And Aaron did what he was commanded to do. And says Rashi, to show you that Aaron did exactly what he was commanded to do. Why wouldn't he do exactly what he was commanded to do? So Rashi says that to show the praise of Aaron that he did not change. He did not change. And the assumption is that it means he did not change from what he was commanded to do. But I want to show you a different interpretation of that. So here we go. So what I believe is happening here is that the message of the menorah, the very message of the menorah is, what do you think, what do you think the, what do you think the image of the menorah means? What do you think the meaning is of lighting candles every day? What does that mean? What is that symbolism? It's literally this process we just described. It's rekindling the spark of inspiration every single day. So Aaron was upset because he missed out on that first inauguration of the sanctuary in the desert. Hashem says, don't worry, you get to light candles every day. What was Aaron upset about? He didn't get to be part of that first. The inspiration, Hashem says, yours is even greater because what's yours? Yours is phase two. That's the integration phase where you have to generate your own inspiration by doing what? Lighting candles every single day. Every day. What's the symbolism of candles? The, in, in Mishle, in King Solomon says, Ner mitzvah of a Torah, or a candle represents a mitzvah, and the Torah represents the light. A candle is a mitzvah. It's a little flame. It's a tiny action that we do to draw down spirituality into this world. It's through our actions, our little actions, that's how we keep the flame alive. One of the great Hasidic masters says that inspiration, the Kedushas Levi, Rav Levi Yitzchak says that inspiration is like a soul. What does a soul need in order to last in this world? The soul has that. The soul is the spark. What does a soul require in order to bring that spark and that purpose into existence in this world? Bingo, a body. A soul cannot exist without a body. Says the Kedushas Levi, inspiration is the soul. Actions is the body that keeps the inspiration alive. So you want to know how to hold on to inspiration, he says? Take the inspiration and put it into action. When you're inspired, you go on a birthright trip, you're inspired, you get married, you're inspired, you have your first kid, you're inspired, you experience a Jewish a Jewish holiday, you're inspired, something amazing happens to you, your life is saved from a car accident, you're inspired. What do you do? Choose an action that you're going to keep, a small action that you're going to do every day to continue to light that flame because the flame of inspiration will not last. I might have told you this story before, but one time my friend was, when we were living in Albany in upstate New York, my, my colleague on college campus was driving home from New York. We actually, I, I'm pretty sure we went to, we both were in New York, I think for the same conference. And then we drove home separately, I think. 
and he was on his way home and it was the winter and it's very icy and his car skidded and literally did a 360 in the middle of a four-lane highway and stopped in the middle of the lane facing the oncoming traffic and it was like super scary thank god there were there were literally like no other cars really on the highway and the cars that were there were able to go to another lane and they were fine but he was totally shooken up he said i literally stared death in the eye i felt like my life was over and he said this that when he got home he was so thankful to be alive he grabbed his kids woke them up hugged them he said for the next few days he told me he felt like he was walking on air he said i was so excited to be alive he said he was like literally taking out the garbage singing I'm so happy to be alive. This is amazing. I get to take out garbage, changing diapers. He was singing, I'm alive. And I said to him, I said, this is amazing, but I want you to know it's not going to last. He's like, what do you mean? This is my new reality. This is it. I, I feel, I appreciate life. I'm never going to lose this. I said, I'm telling you, it's not going to last. Two weeks later, he's like, lost it. <laughs> because that's the reality is inspiration doesn't last. But what does last? is your actions and your choices. When you put it into a habit that you keep every day, it will be with you forever. And you'll always be able to bring back that inspiration because now you've earned it. You're now working and growing through the darkness. So that is the message of the menorah. So Aaron is depressed. He wasn't part of the first inspiration. Hashem says yours is even greater because you get to bring the constant inspiration that comes from you, which is much greater. And it says the Ramban, no. It's talking about a different inauguration. Which one? The time in the temple of the Hanukkah story, when they relit the inspiration, when they didn't have that oil. So the Ramban also is saying the same idea, because that, again, was our choice. We didn't have to look for oil. We had oil, impure oil, but we wanted to do it right. We took, went the extra mile. In fact, the whole war against the Greeks was a war against assimilation. We said, we want to stand up for what it means to be a Jew. We don't want to be Greek. We don't want to worship the body in the Olympics, in the gymnasium, working out naked. We don't want to worship the mind in Greek philosophy. We want to worship Hashem. We want to connect to the soul, which is beyond the body and beyond the mind. The mind and the body are just vessels to hold the light of the soul. And in fact, the candle represents the body and the flame represents the soul. It's something that comes from above. That's the idea that Aaron had to hold the candle there until the flame rose up on its own because the light comes from beyond this world. That's the idea of the candle. That's why flame is always running up. It's like trying to leap off of the wick. And the Tanya explains that that is a metaphor for the soul. The soul is constantly trying to leap out of the body. The soul wants to go back to oneness, go back to Hashem, but it's trapped in the confines of our body, just like a flame trying to leap off the wick. The problem is, is if the flame leaps, leaps off the wick, actually, what happens to it? The flame were to jump off your candle, it would cease to exist. It needs fuel. It needs a body to live in this world. So too with your soul. If your soul would jump out of your body, well, that's called death. We don't want that. So we want to, we need to train the soul to connect to God while, while within the confines of the body. So I think that's the message that 
when it, that when it says that Aaron didn't he did exactly his he was commanded and Rashi says to show you the praise of Aaron that he didn't change I think it means that he didn't change in the sense that his inspiration the hundredth time was just as powerful as the first time he was able to stay connected after hundreds of times of doing it and that's really the place that we want to get to in our life we want to learn to generate our own inspiration because that is the inspiration that lasts so um so the hanukkah story they weren't commanded they didn't have to use that oil they chose to use that oil they went the extra mile to find that oil the fact that the candles burned for eight days is just a message it's a message that shows us the power of the soul when you find that pure jar of oil which exists within you see we we think we've been impure we've become impure from the greeks from the world around us that tells us you are a body you are a body your value is how you look what you produce how smart you are how much money you make we say no my value is the fact that there's a piece inside me that is untouched by the values of the world around me. There's a piece inside me that's directly connected to the creator. That's a piece of God himself. That's the pure jar of oil inside each and every one of us. The miracle, the real miracle of this story is not that the candles lit for eight days. It's that they searched for a jar when all seemed lost. When it looked like there was no oil left, they searched anyway because they knew there has to be a remaining jar of oil because the pure oil the soul of a jew can never be extinguished and if you search that's the real miracle is never giving up never giving up on yourself committing to look for it despite all odds if you agree to fight against the forces of assimilation against the forces that that try to tell us that this world is all there is if you stand up and search and try then even a small army can defeat the world's greatest empire and you will find that oil and when you find that oil it's not miraculous that it's going to burn that's what it does it does burn because that oil is connected to the supernatural power of the soul when you connect that piece of yourself within that can never be impure when you tap into that then nothing can stop you and you can literally light a candle that will burn forever i saw a great quote today it says that we are celebrating on hanukkah the fact that our ancestors one second let me find it i can't remember which chat i'm in that posted it but on hanukkah we are celebrating the fact that our ancestors found one jar of oil that lasted for eight days that's miracle number one miracle number two is that we've been celebrating that for three thousand years which is more miraculous that the candles burned for eight days or that the jewish people have been burning for three thousand three hundred thirty three years that 
is a miracle that I want to be part of. I want to continue to light that flame. I want to continue to bring that inspiration into my life through small and steady actions. The Jewish nation has commemorated this miracle by lighting a menorah for 2,185 consecutive years. Another miracle reminding us that God is with us. Be a part of this miracle. Light your candles today. <laughs> so um, that, I believe, is the message that we wanted to share at least tonight. Of course, there's many, many messages. And the the message, again, of if you haven't heard my other Hanukkah class, is, again, is of the candles itself. They represent inspiration, and they also represent the supernatural power of the soul. Uh, the word for soul in Hebrew, neshama, comes from the root word shame, which means name or essence. Your, your soul is your essence. That letter of Shin Mem, the, the linguistic root in Hebrew, right? Every word in Hebrew has a three-letter shorish, a, a, a root. And when you find that two- or three-letter root of a word, then you can understand different words that might seemingly be disconnected, which are actually very connected. So that word, shame, is the same word we find in the Shama, soul. It's the word of Sham, which means your address, Shamayim, which is heaven, the place of all addresses, the place of essence, the place of the soul. An ant, a, a Jew is called a Semite because we're descended from Shem, someone named Shem, who is a people of essence. That's what it means to be a Jew. And oil is the substance of essence. The way you say oil in Hebrew is Shemen. It's the exact same root because oil represents the soul. How many days did the oil burn for? Eight days. How do you say eight in Hebrew? Shimona. Shimona is the number of essence. The number eight represents that which is above nature. Number seven always represents nature. Seven days of the week, seven colors in the rainbow, right? Seven represents the physical world. That's what the Greeks represented. The Greeks believed in worshiping the physical beauty of the world, the beauty of the mind, the beauty of the body. The number eight represents the miraculous, the supernatural, that which is beyond the world. The message of Hanukkah is that eight trumps seven. The supernatural always has the ability to win against the natural. And that's our reliance on miracles. We don't look for miracles, but we have to believe that they're with us every single day. And if we believe in miracles, then nothing can stop us. The greatest miracle is the fire that we have within our own soul, that pure jar of oil that has been burning for 3,000 years. All we have to do is learn to discover it, but it's within us. We have to always believe that it's there, and then we will find it. And once we find it, then it will burn miraculously and nothing can stop us wishing you all a happy happy Hanukkah <laughs>